Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Right, good morning. Yes, hey Pete, that was a that was a nice morning. Thank you very much. Good morning. I just had that classic that classic preaching thing happen where you're literally moments away from getting up and then suddenly your throat goes nope <laughs> and it starts like clogging up and you're like hacking and coughing and and in the era of COVID as well everyone's paranoid about coughing aren't they I was in a restaurant last night and um and the woman on the on the table across from us had an absolute coughing fit and back in the day everyone shows like you'd show a bit of concern wouldn't you you'd be like oh are you like, oh, is, it she, is she choking on something? Whereas now everybody just moves their chair like one, one thing away. It's like all the compassion is gone. Um, right, so we're going to get into it today. We're going to talk about James Bond. Because, I, oh man, I'm such a massive James Bond geek. Like it's, uh, it's off the chain. My, my Bond geekdom knows no bounds. And um, even to the point where, like I said, I went for dinner last night. And they, she texted me and she said, oh, it's date night tonight. And... Um, because it was one of like the 50 anniversaries that she has in the diary for us for every like minute detail of the relationship that we had. I'm like, you can have three. You can have three anniversaries, but there's like 50 that we've got. So uh, we regularly celebrate in various different things. And last night was, uh, was one of those anniversaries. And she was like, it's date night. We're going to go do something um, when, you, when you get home. And I was like, yes, she's going to take me to see James Bond again. We're going to go again. I've already seen it twice. We're going to go again. And then we just ended up going for dinner. So that was disappointing. But, but... <laughs> Um, but I have seen the new Bond film twice, and uh, it's good. Has anybody else seen the new Bond film yet? Yes, it is good. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't love it, uh, but I didn't dislike it. It's kind of like mid-tier stuff. There's things in there that I was like, this is amazing, and there's things in there that I'm like, oh, no, I wish you hadn't done that. Um, but, but it's cool. It's good. You should, go, you should go see it and go check it out. But my Bond fandom, it goes back to really being a kid and there being a lot less options of things to watch on TV and also like a lot less options of access to movies. Like really the only way to watch a movie was either, you know, you waited for it to come on TV or you went to Blockbuster Video. Remember Blockbuster Video? Man, I miss Blockbuster Video. I used to go and spend hours browsing the catalog shelves in, in Blockbuster Video. Um, so we had a lot of videos taped off the TV because of that. So you'd wait for a movie to come on. And of course, Bond films routinely, still to this day, in fact, would, would often end up on bank holidays. So a bank holiday would happen, or Chris, around Christmas time, they'd show uh, a Bond movie. And so for that reason, as I was growing up, my, my Bond was absolutely Roger Moore growing up, because Roger's movies were on TV the most when I was a kid. And also as a kid, the Sean Connery ones, like, look, don't get me wrong. Let's get serious about Bond for a second. The five, the, there's five actors that have played James Bond, but there's only one that is, and that's Sean Connery, right? Sean Connery is James Bond. No, no doubt about that. But of the other actors that played James Bond, Roger was almost my favorite growing up because the movies were goofy, they were over the top, they were silly, and they appeal to a kid. But the thing is, I never got to see a Bond film actually at the cinema because I was a bit too young, and there was a big break uh, until from like the late 80s to the mid 90s where there was a whole rights issue with the Bond films. They didn't make one for a long time. And then Pierce Brosnan became James. You Pierce Bro- come, Daniel loves Pierce Brosnan. Uh, and uh, Pierce Brosnan came into to the Bond role in the mid 90s. And that was my first Bond that I went to see at the cinema. So that had a big impact for me. Brosnan was my first like cinema Bond. That was very exciting. But really... Um, when Daniel Craig took over the role and we got this slightly more serious, slightly more battered and bruised lad, get you know, and tough guy and a little bit edgy and all of this stuff, and we saw the origins of Bond in Casino Royale, I got hooked in even more on that one and I was like, whoa! And across the five movies 
of Daniel Craig's tenure, I think slowly but surely he has risen to become my favorite Bond. Um, yeah, right. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're bonding it today. It's all about James Bond. So this is a 25-minute review of No Time to Die. So strap in. If you're, uh, if you're afraid of spoilers, put your fingers in your ears. <clears throat> no. Um, but uh, the thing is that as I went to see the No Time to Die the other day for the first time a couple of weeks ago, um, I was a bit... I was a bit like gutted because Daniel Craig's been saying the whole time, the whole time, this is my last Bond movie. This is my last Bond movie. I'm, 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 I'm done after this. I'm definitely not making any more. And I believe him. Like sometimes with the actors, you don't believe them. But with Daniel Craig, we were surprised that he even did the fifth one, right? Because he was bored after the fourth one. So it's like, yeah, this is definitely it. And so you're going into the movie and you're a little bit gutted. You're like, ah, oh, I'm really excited to see this. But I'm also sad that this is an ending. It's an ending. Uh, it's the end of an era. And after this, I'm not going to see any more Daniel Craig Bond films anymore. And when I came out of the movie, I had mixed feelings about it because I'd seen what I'd seen and I enjoyed what I enjoyed. But I was also thinking, I'm not going to get any more of that. And it might sound weird, but movies do this to me. As I was going through the, the rest of my week, I started thinking about other things in my life that come to an end. And I started thinking about the cycles of life and the way that things, they, they start and you journey with them for a season and then they inevitably come to an end. And I thought to myself, yeah, endings... Endings are complicated, aren't they? Endings are difficult. Endings can sometimes be profoundly painful. Endings can be confusing. Endings can be frustrating. We can face the endings of experiences, an experience that we're having in our lives that we don't want to end. Maybe that's eating some food and you're enjoying what you're eating and you can see the, the last bit of your food on your plate and you, you want to savor that last bite. Is there anybody here who saves a particular item of food until the very last mouthful so that you end on that particular flavor? Yeah, we like because we know it's coming to an end, so we want to savor it. But then there's much harder things in our lives like relationships, relationships that come to an end, careers. Jobs, opportunities, dreams that we have that seem to actually just come to an end. That dream is not going to happen or my role of fulfilling that dream has reached its climax. There are so many things in our lives that we face endings in day in, day out. And I have a question for you this morning, which is simply, what endings are you facing in your life at the moment? What areas of your life are there things that are coming to an end? There are things that are naturally ending, but you're finding it quite difficult that those things are coming to an end. Again, perhaps it is friendships. Perhaps it is opportunities. Perhaps it is a dream that you've been chasing. But what other areas of your life are perhaps not coming to an end, but they need to? Attitudes, emotional behaviors, things that you're trapped into that you don't see the end in sight, but actually you know the end needs to come in those things because they're not good things in your life. Let's turn together to Mark 8. Starting in verse 27, I want to read you this fascinating story that, uh, that comes right in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And, and Mark's gospel is often referred to as like the highlight reel of Jesus' ministry. It's the, the short, snappy gospel. It's the match of the day. I like to call it the match of the day of the gospels because we get all the highlights and there's lots of language about immediately then and then suddenly and then next. And it just rattles along at a right old pace for the first eight chapters. And we see Jesus' ministry in full flow. It doesn't even bother to give us the, the, the Christmas story or anything like that. It's just like, bang, let's just get involved with Jesus doing what Jesus does. So we've had eight chapters of Jesus healing the sick, casting out demons, preaching to the multitudes, having fascinating one-on-one -on -one encounters, assembling disciples, confusing his disciples, empowering his disciples, getting on the wrong side of the religious leaders of his day. All the good stuff that we know about Jesus from the Gospels. And then we get to the end of chapter 8 and things slow down. 
And for a couple chapters, we actually get just a, a bit of a slowed down focus in Mark's gospel on who Jesus actually is. And it starts with Jesus asking his disciples who they think he is. Verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? Now, that's a dangerous question. That's a very dangerous question. You ever go to your friends and just say, hey, what's the, what's the word on the street about me? What do people say? What, like, what do people around the message say about me? Like, what's their vibe on me? Actually, we, we might not do that verbally, but we do do it pictorially, and we do do it in relationally through social media these days. You know, every time we post a selfie or we post us, you know, singing our new song on YouTube or whatever it might be, uh, there's many reasons why we might do that. But I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we said there was no part of us whatsoever that isn't actually asking the question, who do you say I am in that? When I post a selfie, who do you say I am? Do you say I'm beautiful? Do you say I'm, I'm good looking? Do you say I've got charisma? Do you say, like, who do you say I am? And we're looking for a certain level of validation every time that we do these things. So what's going on with Jesus here is he says, who do you say I am? Is this some kind of ancient version of Jesus doing a selfie? There's no Instagram. So Jesus, all right, this is my selfie. I'll just ask you. I can't get any likes on my posts. So I'll just ask you directly, who do you say I am? Is that what Jesus is doing? Looking for self-validation? No. As ever, Jesus is using a question to teach and inform his disciples and us by proxy of something profoundly important. They replied, some say John the Baptist. That's a good reference. Others say Elijah, the greatest of the prophets, and still others, one of the prophets in general. Well, these are all good references. John the Baptist, the greatest man born of a woman, your cousin, the guy that baptized you. I mean, it didn't get better than that. Like, he's this guy, he's he's the Don, right? Maybe it's the spirit of him that is in you. Or Elijah, the one that needs to come before the Messiah himself will come. What an incredible prophet Elijah was. Wow, yeah, people say that you're Elijah come again, which is exciting. Because if you're Elijah come again, that means that the Messiah can't be far behind. The king who God is going to send, who will triumphantly reclaim Jerusalem, reclaim Israel for his people. The promise that God has made. Wow, that would be exciting. Or some other people, they're not quite sure who you are, but they're pretty sure you're definitely one of the prophets. Like you're a serious, important guy. Notice that they only give him the good reviews. They don't tell him any of the bad stuff so far as we see in this passage. They're not saying, oh, people say you're a drunkard because you hang out with drunk people. People say you're a pervert because you hang out with prostitutes. People say you're a party boy because you're always at parties. These were the things that were going around about Jesus. Jesus' reputation was not only good things. Jesus had a very complicated reputation in his day. Some people thought he was the best of the best. Some people thought he was a drunkard a party boy, and up to no good, and a blasphemer, worst of all. So Jesus says to them, okay, cool, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, you are the Messiah. Wow. You know, the word Messiah, it literally means anointed one of heaven. It means the one sent from heaven for an anointed specific purpose. What purpose has he been sent for? Well, just look at his name, Jesus. What does Jesus' name mean? God saves. God rescues. So in other words, when we call him Jesus Christ, because Christ is just the Greek word that, uh, that Messiah is the Hebrew and, and, and Christ is the Greek version of it. When we say Jesus Christ, we are literally saying God saves through the anointed one of heaven. Who? Well, the clue's in the name, through Jesus himself. That's who he is. Now, surely when Peter says this, and he's probably speaking on behalf of all of the disciples, they've probably all come to this conclusion. 
through some level of divine inspiration, but also from the things that they've seen, from the things that they've heard. But they don't totally understand what they're saying because they, they have a concept of this Messiah as being someone who's going to come and save the day. But they don't have the full understanding of the Messiah as to what Jesus is going to do, that he will suffer and die and be raised again and bring communion with God where it has been severed by our rebellion. And so Jesus warns them not to tell anyone about him. There's probably a couple of reasons why Jesus does this. It's probably because it wasn't quite the right time for this word to go out. And we see Jesus doing this a lot. Of course, people often don't obey. When Jesus says, don't tell anyone this healing that I've done, people run off and they shout about it all day long. But Jesus doesn't want to be misunderstood yet. And I think Jesus recognizes that his disciples, they've rightly understood that he is the Messiah, but they haven't rightly understood what the Messiah is. So he says, okay, well, this is good, but don't tell anybody just yet because you haven't got it all figured out. And I don't want people to get the wrong idea. Here's the thing. Recognizing who Jesus is is the beginning of faith. We have to start there. If you want to begin a journey of faith, it is in discovering who Jesus actually is because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So we start with, you are the Messiah. You're the Savior. You are Lord. You are the King. You're the top of the top recognizing that God is king is so important. But here's the thing. Recognizing that God is king is one thing. Keeping him in that place in your life is another thing entirely. Immediately after Peter declares Jesus to be the Messiah, the king who will save everything, he then decides to tell the king what he can and can't do. How often do we do that? Yes, Jesus, you're the king. But by the way, I've got notes about how you should rule and reign. It's exactly what Peter does here. Verse 31, he, Jesus, then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's the name that Jesus used for himself all the time, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. This is shocking. And after three days, rise again. Well, that's good news. He spoke plainly about this. Details. Bible never puts details in for no reason. Why does Jesus speak plainly about it? What do we know that Jesus does all the time in his teaching? What does he use? Parables. He's always telling stories. But he's not telling stories now as he talks to his disciples. Why not? Because he wants them to understand as clearly as possible. He's being sober with them. He's being frank with them. He's like, now is the time for you to know the things of heaven. So he speaks clearly to them the things of heaven. And Peter took him aside, having Jesus having done this. And guess what? What does Peter do? Takes him aside and worships him. He says, whoa, you really are the Messiah. Nope. Peter takes him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Jesus says to his disciples after they've rightly acknowledged that he's the Messiah, but don't fully understand who the Messiah is. He says, well, let me help you understand. This is who the Messiah is. I'm going to be taken by the authorities and I'm going to be killed by them. But have no fear because three days later, I will rise again. There will be an ending and it will be painful. Trust me, it will be painful for me above anybody else because I'm the one that's going to be killed. But it will be painful for you as well. It will be hard for you. But have hope. Because there will be a new beginning. I will rise again. The problem is, is that as Jesus is explaining this to his disciples, what does Peter hear? He doesn't hear the new beginning. He doesn't hear the hope of the resurrection. He only hears the despair of the ending, the defeat 
have an ending. No, the Messiah is victorious. The Messiah is the king. The Messiah is the one that's going to bring victory to Israel. Death is defeat. You can't die. You can imagine, I don't, know, I don't know exactly what Peter said to Jesus, but you can imagine Peter taking Peter to one side and said, um, I don't think you know what the Messiah is. I, the, the Messiah is supposed to bring victory, to literally ride triumphantly into Jerusalem on a horse with a sword, leading an army to reclaim what has been taken from us by force with God's empowerment. That's how it's always been. That's how it's going to be. This is the promise of God. You don't know. You can't be killed. The Messiah cannot die because you can only see the ending as a defeat. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. The ending is merely a new beginning. And it's a new beginning that needs to happen because if an ending doesn't come, you will be trapped in your sin and your death and your failure and your corruption and your chaos. So it needs to end. And it's gonna end with me on the cross. And what's gonna come in its place is life. It's funny, isn't it, that the, the moment that, that Peter hears that he declares Messiah, within just a few moments after that, as Jesus begins to explain the fullness of his lordship, of his kingship, just a few moments after that, Peter is now telling the king what to do. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine recognizing that Jesus is king and then turning around to him the very next moment and saying, no, don't do that. You're crazy, Jesus. What are you doing? Can you imagine that? Of course you can, because you've done it. And so have I. We do it all the time to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, you're king. Oh, not about that though. Not in that way. In the way that I want you to be king. Recognizing who Jesus is, like I said, is the beginning of faith. But the ongoing hope, power, and assurance of our faith is found in letting him be king at all times. In every single situation. And sometimes that means letting him lead us to an ending. So my question to you again is, what endings are you facing in your life today? And we're going to take a moment. I just want to ask you to close your eyes. And I want to ask you to reflect just for a minute and ask the Lord. Just reflect on your life and just ask the Lord, Lord, that thing that's going on in my life that's just come to an end, whatever it may have been, a relationship or an opportunity or whatever else, I am really struggling to let that go, God. And I don't understand it. And I'm wrestling it out. But God, if it really needs to end, if it really is the end and I need to draw a line and I need to move forward so there can be a new beginning, would you help me, King Jesus? For some of you, it's asking the question right now, God, is there something that is a blind spot for me? An emotional habit, a behavior, a character flaw, something like that, anything. Is there something in me that I'm holding on to and it's a blind spot and I, I actually need to end it today? Lord, will you reveal those things to us now? We're just gonna take a moment in silence just to think about that. As I was sitting at the end of the movie, no time to die watching the credits roll and trying to process what I'd watched and all, you know, because it means, I know it might seem stupid to you, but it means something to me. It's important to me. And uh, as the credits were rolling on the screen, I was just processing what I'd watched and, uh, and thinking, yeah, no more, no more Daniel Craig movies. He's, he's, he said he's not going to come back. And then as the title screen rolled, some familiar words came onto the screen. The same words that always come up at the end of a James Bond film. The same words that are 
on the screen behind me now. The same few words. Every single Bond movie ends the same way. James Bond will return. And in that moment, I was like, oh, yeah. And it just gives you a little bit of hope. That, All right, Daniel Craig's not coming back, but James Bond's going to come. Maybe there'll be more James Bond stuff. And I just had a nice little bit of hope that, yeah, okay, there's going to be some more movies in the future. Everything's, everything's going to be okay. But, you know, movies are fairly trivial in the grand scheme of things. The truth is there's a far better hope and a far better promise that Jesus gives us in this text. As he says to Peter, there will be an ending. He also says, but, but don't worry, because I will return. Don't be so blinded by something coming to an end that you can't see the hope of what it means that Jesus has returned. And there is always hope because of that. He's already done it. He came back from the grave. He did return already. The, the end credits rolled on the crucifixion, and at the end it said, Jesus will return. And guess what? He did. Three days later, he came back. And then the end credits roll as he's talking to his disciples on the mountaintop, and he ascends back to heaven, and the end credits roll and say, Jesus will return. And we're still waiting for it. But guess what? He did it the first time, and he's going to do it again because it's an absolute assurance that he will return. And because he's going to return, we have hope that even when we face endings in this life, there is no ending in this life that is so final that it cannot be overcome, reinvented, reimagined, repurposed for his glory and his hope and in his power. Because he's coming again. And when he comes again, everything will be made right. And the heartbreak that we face over endings, the ultimate ending that we probably experience in this life over people that have left us, died, who are not with us anymore. And it's so painful and it's so difficult. And it's not just a case of get over it, everybody. Hey, you just got to get over your ending. It's not that. It's will you be prepared to give it to Jesus? Will you be prepared to say, God, I'm grieving. And grief is fine. It's an important part of our human process. But in your grief, giving it to Jesus and saying, God, I'm grieving. I know I need to go through a process, but I know over everything else. I need to give it to you. Because out of an ending, a new beginning can come. Peter couldn't see the hope of the return because of his humanity. And in his humanity, just like the rest of us, he wants to control the ending. Don't you want to control the ending? I know I do so often. I want to control the ending of how it's going to happen. And God's like, no, you're not in charge. Let me control the ending because I know best. Let me empower you to get through everything that's going on. And here's the weird thing about this passage. We see probably the harshest rebuke in the Bible. Jesus says some harsh things. Harsh things are said to people. Jesus does some harsh things. He rebukes the, 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 the money lenders in the temple by turning over the table. He says some incredibly insightful and, and scathing things to the religious leaders of his, days, uh, of his day. And yet this feels like the harshest, doesn't it, of all the rebukes. Why? Because the words are so stark, but he's saying it to his, one of his best friends. Get behind me, Satan. Is Jesus saying this to Peter because Satan is because Peter's demon possessed? All of a sudden he starts manifesting and Jesus sees, whoa, Satan's in the room. Get behind me, Satan. Is he saying it because uh, Satan has been whispering in Peter's ear and saying, you know, you need to say this to Jesus. You need to say this. And, and Peter listens too closely to the voice of Satan and says it. I guess that's a little bit more possible. But, but I don't really think that's what's going on. I think what's actually going on here is something for us all. 
Because it's too easy to dismiss Jesus' rebuke to Peter as being, oh, the devil was clearly influencing him there. And I'm not being influenced by the devil. I'm just having a slightly weak day. I'm having a slightly fleshy day. And I don't think Jesus would rebuke me the same way. Jesus is kind and compassionate. Yes, he is kind and compassionate. And because he's kind and compassionate, he will say to you, get behind me, Satan, because you need to hear it sometimes. Because when he says to you, get behind me, Satan, he's not saying you are demon-possessed. He's saying to you, you either will install me as king or you won't. And if you don't install me as king, guess who you think king is? The enemy. The prince of this world who has great power and great sway over this world. But he's not the king of kings. And Jesus is saying, look, you have a choice. You can either really trust me, really trust me to be your king. Or you can go the other way. But if you go the other way, you have no place in my kingdom. It's hard words, but it's important words. Look, Jesus came again from death and he's coming again from glory. He kept his promise before and he'll keep it now. But until then, there may be things that we need to let go of. What were those things in your mind that you just thought of now? Will you allow Jesus to take control? This is not overwhelmingly this morning a rebuke, although we need to always be open to Christ rebuking us. It is overwhelmingly an opportunity to say, Jesus, this is incredibly difficult. These endings are so tough, but you are good. You keep your promises, you're trustworthy, and you're the king. So this morning, I'm going to give this to you. Sometimes it's exhaustingly painful. Sometimes it makes little sense. Sometimes it offends us deeply, but there are some things that Jesus is saying today must come to an end in your life so that you can come to life in him. Let's pray. I'm going to invite Lucy up and we're going to sing. Father, help us this morning, we pray. Help us this morning. The beginning of faith is recognizing that you are king. We love you, Jesus. Sorry for the times when we try to tell you how to be king. Lord, thank you in your great compassion that you help us in our moment and times of need. When we're struggling with loss, whatever the loss might be, opportunity, relationships, when we're struggling with emotional things that need to be laid down, character deficiencies that need to be given over to you. Thank you that you have the power to help us with compassion, with grace, with a gentle touch, sometimes with a clear word of rebuke that startles us into recognizing that we need change. God, your desire is never to shame us. It is to bring us into your presence in such a way that we truly, truly, truly know who you are. That we truly, truly worship you for who you are. That we're truly empowered by who you are. And that we can truly reveal who you are to give hope to our hopeless worlds. That they may know that the end does not have to be the end. In fact, the end is merely the beginning. Would you help us take up our cross, die to the old, and be born again into the new? In Jesus' precious name, amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.